0: Have your Bible with you this morning. If you could turn to the book of Daniel, uh, the book of Daniel. Uh, a lot of the stories in the book of Daniel are we're very familiar with. Um, we won't be going into any great depth into them, but uh, we'll be touching on them um, and seeing if there's something in the book of Daniel that can encourage us in our day. Can uh, help us uh, face the unknown. So Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God, then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, and to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve the king, serve before the king. Now, from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel here in the story, uh, in his account of what he experienced and what he went through tells of how he was taken from his homeland of, of Israel, of Judah. Uh, he was taken from Jerusalem and brought to Babylon. Uh, it's quite a change for him, quite a transformation from his circumstances, how the, uh, he was in God's city with God's people and now he finds himself in a totally different environment, totally different from what he had been grown up with and what he was familiar with. He was been brought into a people who spoke a different language, who worshipped different gods, probably dressed differently, but certainly had different customs and things like that also. A, a, a radical transformation for this young man. He's brought into this, young, this city where if anyone knows or heard about the seven wonders of the ancient world, there was, one of them was this, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. At this time, they either would have been there or would have been in the process of creating them. So it was a, a huge city, a metropolitan city in many ways. And he's brought into this place which is alien to him. Uh, it's a difficult place. There's going to be a lot of things in the story of Daniel as you read through it in your own time, you can read through it where you see they start to dictate to Daniel um, when, uh, when they can worship God, which God to worship, how they worship them. They put constraints upon Daniel, upon the people of God to try and conform them to their image and to their culture and to their way of thinking and way of belief. They impose their values on him in many ways is what they're trying to do. And it's a remarkable story and we're gonna go into it. And I know we're facing now 2021. We've had the year which for many of us will stand out as something that we'll always look back on. I've said to Sharon a few times driving along in the car, there's times where I've listened to the radio and I've thought I've been in a movie. You know, when you think about some of the news reports Especially, you know, the heartbreaking reports back in, in March and April and May, and even right up to today, the, the amount of people that are infected with this, this terrible plague, and people that are passing away, and, and it's, it's heartbreaking. These are lives. I mean, we, we get so blasé with the figures, but lives that are changed and affected, uh, prematurely dying before their time, and It's terrible. And we face a, few, a, a, a year, a new year now, 2021, which we don't know what's going to happen. We have hopes for, for this year. We have uh, ideas of what might happen. But realistically, this year starting is like any other year starting. Every year, we don't know what, is gonna, what we're going to face. There could be things happen any year that, that could be challenging and be tough, tough for us. We might not face today... the the same sort of problems that Daniel faced, but they're fairly similar. I mean, they're telling us where we, you know, about how many people are allowed in a building, how far we should stay apart from one another, unless you're in the bubble. We're telling people what to wear. We have to wear the face masks. You know, and I'm not arguing with the the reason why we're doing that. I'm not doing that at all. But I'm saying that we could see a, a, a similarity and a connection between what Daniel was facing where they're starting to put restrictions upon the people of God who they had brought into their country. And they were starting to restrict the way that they lived and how they, uh, uh, how they got on and communicated with one another. So I think from Daniel, we can maybe get some lessons, something to learn. We see that through the life of Daniel how he flourished in this land, how he survived and flourished. So today, the title of the message is Lessons from a Lion Tamer. It's, it's a catchy title. But I think there's some lessons in it that we can take on board. Things that we can learn and we can hold on to. And truthfully, I'll be honest right up front, this isn't going to be anything you've never heard before. Sorry, if you're looking for novelty or something new, there's nothing new under the sun and the word of God has been plumbed for for centuries and it's just something to encourage us. But maybe it's a slightly new perspective. So Daniel It's going to be our example today. We're going to learn from this lion tamer and see what we can learn and what we can hold on to. The first point is Daniel had an unshakable conviction that God was the one true and living God above all other gods. He had an unshakable conviction that God was the one true and living God above all other gods. You know, it's easy when you go into a new culture and a new environment to allow those things that you hold true, the values, the way you live right now, your habits, your traditions, your wee foibles at home. It's easy when you go to another culture for some of those to fall off and you to adapt to that way of living in that environment. It's easy. Even sometimes values can change as you you're see other people's values every day and you learn to adapt and to to change. But Daniel was different. Daniel was a man of conviction. He was a man confident in what he believed. Daniel, when he came to Babylon at this time, Daniel probably was between 16 and 18 years of age. A young man, a, a boy in many ways, which makes it all the more remarkable when you read the story about Daniel. Someone so young held convictions so surely and so confidently. Now before he came to Babylon obviously he grew up in Jerusalem. Jerusalem he grew up up in was the Jerusalem ruled and governed by King Josiah. King Josiah was a remarkable king. He had come to the throne as an eight year old. You can read this in 2 Kings 20, 22, uh, 22, 23, all in that sort of area. He came to the throne at age eight. He had uh, godly advisors. He had people around him who encouraged him in the things of God. So he instructed the wise men or the priests, I should say. He instructed his advisors, let's clean up the temple. For this, up to this time, for the previous decades, The temple had gone to waste and gone to ruin. They had brought in other gods. They brought in other idols into the temple. They had erected them. People were coming to the temple not to worship Yahweh or Elohim, not to worship the true God, but they'd come to the temple to worship other gods. Realistically, for us now, looking at it, this is heartbreaking. Can you imagine going to the temple of God where the Shekinah presence of God had been And it's no longer there. And in fact, people are doing all sorts of hideous and horrendous and diabolical practices to worship foreign gods, pagan gods. And Josiah sent his men into the the temple to clean the temple, to to sort it out. It had gone into disrepair and ruin. So they started to gather the money together, to to gather the tithes and the offerings and to bring them together to, to clean the place up. And in doing so, they found the book of the law. In Second Kings, you don't have to turn to this, Second Kings chapter 22, verse 8, it says, Then Hilkah the high priest, said to Saphon, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. What a, what a shocking line that is. I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkah gave the book to Saphon and he read it. So Saphon the scribe went to the king. His first reaction, I'm going to the king. Bring the king word saying, and he, so he brought the king word saying, your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. So they're going to clean it up. They're going to do their thing. Then Saphon the scribe showed the king saying, Hilkah the priest has given me a book. And Saphon read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. So affected was he by hearing the words of the law, the first time he would have heard them. He might have heard snatches of the history of the people of Israel, parts that had been passed on orally, maybe even a few few parts written down, but he didn't have the book of the law. This is the first time the book of the law has been read to him. And his reaction is to tear his clothes. He's moved. He's affected on a level, on a deep, deep level. So he says to his, to his wise men, or his priests, I should say, go inquire uh, of the Lord for me, for the people of all Judah concerning the words, Of this book that have been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is roused against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that's written concerning it. He recognized we haven't been doing what we have been told to do. We haven't been walking in God's ways. We've been walking according to other gods. And God's response to him was, uh, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what was spoken, uh, what is spoken against this place and against it, its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse. See, so that's what the, that's what the Bible taught. What's what the, the the Old Testament, the laws taught? If you you disregard my covenant, if you walk away from me, that are the blessing, the protection that God has that God has given will be lifted off you and you'll be under judgment for the sins that you commit. See, God judged the Canaanites when he sent the children of Israel in there, but then God judged his people whenever they followed the ways of the Canaanites. And that's what's happened here. This place would become a desolation and a curse. You tore your clothes and wept before me. This is talking to the king. And I also heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought back the word to the king. So God's promise to him was, you know, the judgment's coming. You know, the nation deserves this. They've done everything to accelerate this. But because I have seen your heart, (laughs) because I've seen how you've humbled yourself, because I've seen how you've wept over the nation, I will not do it in your lifetime. I'll not do it in your lifetime. What a, problem. What a gracious God, really. What a gracious God. And Josiah the king was moved, was affected, And he not only cleaned out the temple, he not only tore down the statues and the the idols to these foreign gods, but he went throughout the whole nation. He even went over the border into Samaria, which would have been part of Israel, although Israel's long gone. And he pulled down their high places and their groves, and he put the the priests to those foreign gods, to those pagan gods, all with a small g. He took those priests and he killed them. He said Jews have been the, the plague upon our nation and he purified the nation and the whole nation turned as it was as it were their hearts towards God they, they moved they were moved on such a level that uh, it, it staggers belief when the whole nation came to that point where they recognized that God is God of this land we were the people of God he has chosen us an insignificant people the least of all people he has chosen us blessed us and given us a covenant. And they turned. And the testimony, which in Scripture goes on, and just the next chapter, Second Kings 23, you read this for yourself. And it's talking about King Josiah. It says, Now before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. What a testimony. King Josiah was on the throne and he was doing all these things throughout the nation and bringing the nation back to God when Daniel was born. This is just happening 16 years before Daniel is taken into captivity. Daniel's brought up in an environment where he sees these pagan idols that are being taken down, where he sees the people turning to God, where he sees the reinstitution of temple worship, of the reading of the law, of things that had gone astray and had been forgotten about decades before were now reinstitutionalized, were re-brought to the fore, where people were once again thirsting after God, hungering after God, wanting to know God, tell us about the God of the law. Josiah turned, it says, Josiah tore his clothes and wept. I guarantee you he wasn't the only one. Other people were affected. Daniel's family were affected. Daniel was brought up in this environment where he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was real, that they were the chosen people of God and that God deserved all their worship, adoration, praise, and uh, everything that they could do for him. That God alone was God. All these other statues, he'd seen them torn down. He'd seen them uh, displaced. He'd seen their priests slaughtered. And he'd seen nothing happen. Nothing happened, no retribution. And he knew that what happened is God was protected them for this long and been gracious to them. And that punishment was coming because of what they had done. So he's born in a time of Revival. You know, we think sometimes of revival as, a, as people falling in the streets of, of the, you know, the 1859 revival and, and other revivals where people were moved and there was speaking in the spirits and there was lots of things happening. And those are, I'm not taking away from them. But sometimes there's a revival, um, like the one that happened in the 1600s in Northern Ireland, where people returned to the word. They returned to the preaching of the word and studying the word and seeking after God, where people filled churches. The Six Mile Water Revival where the churches were filled week after week after week because people were hungry to know about God and the things of God. And that's what Daniel was used to. He was brought up in that environment, listening to, hear, listening to it, the, the people and seeing the change in his society, the transformation. This was the country that Daniel was born into, that he was raised in where conversations about God was a daily fact of life. People were running to get to the temple to hear something read from the book of the law to be taught about God, to actually hear from God himself. Hearing the accounts of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, their forebears, and how they had stepped out in faith and how God had protected them and guided them and led them hearing how Jacob, who was a conniver and a twister, how he had had his name changed and he was called Israel. And they they could all identify, now we are the people of Israel, the children of Israel, a prince with God. We have a special standing with God. For a 16 to 18-year-old holding on to these things, being brought up in this environment, this is why it's so important, especially for parents with young kids, to teach them right, to share your values with them, to share the importance of the word of God, to share the importance of the house of God, of seeking the face of God. You've only got a wee window to get that into them, to teach them these things, to share those values with them. Daniel was having an education unlike, uh, unlike many of his forebears before him, people in the previous generation. It had shaped Daniel and his character, transformed him. In Daniel 6, we're told about the plot for Daniel, against Daniel. We're told how they didn't appreciate, the leaders didn't like that Daniel was gifted. They didn't like that Daniel had wisdom. They didn't like that he had a special relationship with the king. And they plotted against him. They, They wanted to make a trap for him that he would trip himself up in. So they convinced the king to uh, pass a decree that for 30 days, no one could petition anyone except the king. No man or God, the only petition you could give was to the king. And Daniel, it says in Daniel 6, verse 10, it says then, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. See, his belief that God was God, that, that God was supreme, his confidence that God was the one true and living God above all other gods, wasn't something he held lightly. It wasn't something he had just inherited and walked away from. I think of young people I went to church with, I went to Sunday school with when I was younger. Uh, And I think, look at them and I look at their lives and I think about how many of them walked away, how many of them were walking in their parents' relationship or walking just in a Christian culture. See, it's important that we own it ourselves. Daniel owned it himself. He wasn't merely going through the the motions because it was the thing to do or because he'd been brought up that way. No, no, no. For him, this was the core of who he was. This defined his identity. I believe in God, Yahweh, Elohim, the God of covenant. I have always prayed to him and I will always pray to him. Regardless of the consequences, he didn't flip-flop. He didn't wonder to himself, maybe I could go on a prayer fast. Yeah, go on a prayer fast. Some people go on a food fast for, for you know certain types of food for a few days or for thirty days or whatever. You know, uh, this is the worst type of fast. If you were to go on a prayer fast, you need to you don't need a prayer fast. You need a prayer binge. I tell you, <laughs> but he didn't. He knew how important it was to spend time with God, to come before the God of gods, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. He knew how important it was, how vital it was, because he'd been brought up believing it. So he continued to pray. Daniel 6, after he had been caught in the act of praying and he had been thrown into the lion's den, and the king, with bated breath, who admired Daniel and regretted making the uh, decree came to the tomb or came to the lion's den where the stone was. And he called out to Daniel, Daniel 6, uh, verse 20. He says, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? See, even the king knew Daniel was a servant of God who he continually served. He knew that this was a, this defined who this man was. Yes, he had all these abilities and giftings, but he still knew that to his core, he was a servant of the living God who uh, who he continually served. Chapter six, verse 23, it says, Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. Such was his confidence that God was real and that his God was greater than all these other gods. I mean, the scriptures tell us about these other gods, but these other gods are figments of imaginations. They're manufacturers of, of men's imaginations and of, of, uh, of demons and things like that. There they're, they're only is one God. And Daniel was aware of that. He knew that he served the one true and living God and that he would not be moved and he would not be shaken. What about ourselves? Can we have that confidence ourselves? He'd seen an entire nation transformed. He'd seen a nation turn, as it were, their hearts towards God. He'd seen the groves pulled down and things like that there. We haven't seen that. But can I tell you this morning, we've got the full revelation of Scripture. Imagine what they did, and all they found was the book of the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. We have the full revelation of Scripture. We have actual eyewitness accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Eyewitness accounts. An eyewitness account stands up in a court of law. We have four of them. We have the testimony of those eyewitnesses. We have the testimony sitting here today if you know Christ as your saviour, I'm looking at lives and looking at people now whose lives have been transformed by God, who have come to Christ and have been changed and transformed by his power and by his spirit, who have been washed clean by the blood of Christ. There's a testimony about God's greatness and God's goodness. Lives, lives that were before they came to the altar and before they came to Christ that were wreck and ruin. That have now been transformed and now stand like the man, of, uh, the, the, the man who was possessed. They now stand closed and in their right minds before God. That's a testimony. That is quite a testimony. So not just four eyewitnesses. We've now got countless witnesses to Christ's saving power and Christ's delivering power. We've also got the testimony of things that were done for Christ We think of the uh, charities of the orphanages. We think of the uh, hospitals. We think of the uh, schools that have been set up by Christians in order to help people, to bring them along, to teach them the things of God, to teach them and help them to understand. Going into 2021, we can have confidence like Daniel that, that God is the one true and living God. We can have confidence that he is still God, that he didn't stop working in 2019, leave us for a year in limbo, but that he has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. We can have confidence that whatever, no matter what this year holds ahead of us, that we can be confident he will be with us, that his spirit, if you know him as your child, as your savior, his spirit abides within you. You'll never be alone, no matter how isolated you feel no matter how separated and apart from everyone else that you might feel at times, and we do, but we can know that he is with us and that he's only a prayer away. So Daniel had an unshakable conviction that God was the one true and living God. He also had a conviction that God's word was true. He had a conviction that God's word was true. In Daniel chapter one, verse eight there, it mentioned previously that they were giving him a daily portion of the king's food. Um, daily portion of the king's food. Uh, there's there in verse number five. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank. Now, this food was um, food that was order, offered, some of it would have been offered to the idols that were in the city, that were around the king's palace this is part of this wine would have been poured out on the altars as offerings to these pagan gods. And it says in verse, verse number eight, it says, but Daniel proposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He proposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He made a decision. It wasn't a decision that had a, a, a clause attached to it. It wasn't a decision that had a, a unless this happens. He doesn't say, I'm going to be good. I'm going to serve God. But if it gets tough, if there's an easier way out, if there's a more convenient way, I'm going to take that. He made a decision. I'm not going to defile myself. I'm not going to allow uh, the defilement of this environment to get into me and affect me. Leviticus 11:44. when God's going through, when they're listing out all of the food laws and all that, uh, the things that the requirements for the people of Israel, uh, and they're not to do, in verse 44, it says, I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. See, the, words, the Bible takes great stock on being careful about what they were taking in, about what they were eating, because it, there's a, a recognition that uh, You know, God has decreed these things are unclean, that they're not to be ingested, they're not to be eaten. Many people, Jews and and other religious people to this day still adhere to these. Daniel was determined that he wasn't going to defile himself. He knew that these these offerings were offered to these foreign gods, these pagan gods, and he wasn't going to let that come into him. He wasn't going to let the, the stigma attached with that become something that affected him. His desire was to remain holy. As I told you before, he had been raised in a time where the nation were returning to holiness, returning to purity. There's often whenever God moves, there is that turn again to holiness. You know, when the Wesleyan revival was a return to holiness, he talked about a second crisis of the soul. And others, the Babylonians wanted to influence these young men and do it daily who knows what sort of ceremonies they would have witnessed or seen or took, or you know uh, attached to these foods it says that they were given a daily portion you know there's something about that dailiness of it yes i know when he eat daily i'm not referring to that but there's a daily bombardment to the people of god a daily bombardment to daniel certainly you could see him going through the city maybe moving around the, uh, the, the palace and seeing the images daily, the frescoes, the statues, the ornamentation, the trappings of foreign gods, seeing people giving devotional worship to those because as, as misguided or as blind as they were, they were still doing that. You could see him being bombarded by that daily where he was being confronted with those images, with devotion. You could see someone who maybe wasn't holding on to God or his word wasn't holding on to the the fact that you shall have no other gods before me. You could see someone who wasn't holding on quite as surely with that, being maybe a wee bit wavering, questioning, starting to wonder, is this the right way? Maybe these people look so devoted. Look at their sincerity. For some people, sincerity is a powerful tool. For some people, sincerity speaks volumes. I can tell you sincerity, while Nice doesn't make something right. He was bombarded by these things daily. We can be bombarded by things daily. Efforts by this world as subtle and as insidious as ever can be bombarding us daily to question our faith, to take other values upon us, to take other uh, characteristics, to, to leave behind the old way of thinking, the old value system of the past, you know, though that's got more place in the 1950s, 1940s. That's got more place in the 1800s. This is the 21st century. This is 2021. Let's embrace everything new. You can see them changing language, changing values in our laws, and on our TVs. There's some things that we've seen on TV recently. Sharon and I have gone like, there's that again. What has that got to do with what we're watching? There's that again. What has that got to do with this product they're selling? because they're putting forward an agenda. They're trying to transform daily our way of thinking, our values, those things that we hold dear, those things we hold sacred. They're trying to water it down and to to bombard it. It's important as the people of God that we learn to discern. We learn to, to evaluate things and not to just take in everything we believe. One of the biggest ones over this last, certainly this last number of years has been the news. News has been filled with so much opinion. So many slants to what they're saying and what they're presenting. Once they put a tag on something, I knew a guy, a gentleman who's a a dear brother who um, lived in North Wales. And he said, he hated the news. And he said, the reason was he says a car crash. He says, if it was someone from out of town, they'd say there was a car crash and someone was injured. If it was a local, they would say, a Welsh man had a car crash. And he was like, what's the difference? It's still a car crash. But they were making a slant to it. I studied Irish history when I was in America. It was was more of a hobby than uh, than an actual going to university for it. Uh, People asked me what was Irish history and I didn't know much beyond the typical (laughs) <laughs> 1690, and I didn't even know that. But I found very quickly that I had to evaluate all of the literature I was reading. I had to compare and contrast. I had to, because I, some of them I read, which would leave you hanging out one side, hating the other. Others I read, you, you could be on this side, hating the other side. So you needed to bring them together. Now, as believers, we need to evaluate everything that we see and we we hear daily, but we line it up with the word of God. What does the word of God tell us? What does it teach us? How does it, what is its values? Because these are the most important ones. These will keep us on the steady path. In John 15, Jesus said, "'Abide in me and I in you, "'as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself "'unless it abides in the vine. "'Neither can you unless you abide in me. "'I am the vine and you are the branches.'" He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Abiding here speaks of unbroken fellowship and personal communion with God. Abiding in him. Give us this day our daily bread. We have to live in this world. We have to walk through this world. We got to do what we got to do. But we have to remember, as Daniel's habit was, he came three times a day, opened the windows and faced Jerusalem and prayed. We have to come, to come daily to God in our own way, whatever way that takes, whatever form that takes, whether we come in prayer and we come to the word, uh, we come in praise and worship. We have to combine all three. Let me say that much. <laughs> we have to combine all three because all we do is lift, listen to praise and worship. You don't know if all the doctrine in the praise and worship is going to be right. You need to be careful. We need to come together and have communion, unbroken communion with God, and remember that he is God. So Daniel had a, such a confidence in God and God, in God's word that he determined that he wouldn't corrupt himself with these offerings that were offered to these foreign gods. And he's seen an effect. There was an effect. Um, what's in here? Maybe he knew the scripture in Daniel, or Deuteronomy 28. I'm just going to read this. Don't turn to it. Deuteronomy 28, it says, verse one, now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to obey carefully all his commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. The reason these men hated Daniel was because he was one of only three people who ruled the entire nation he was elevated to such a point that the only person higher than him was the king himself it was he, he seen how his 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 devotion to god how his conviction that god's word was true how it was true that by honoring god and by lifting god up in his life that god was honoring him and lifting him up in the place And he's seen that happen over and over again. You have to remember the book of Daniel was written by Daniel. It's a book that bears his name. Daniel chapter one, verse nine says, now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. Daniel noticed that. I'm in his favor. This guy likes me. This must be God because I'm a I'm from a backwater city on the edge, or not even a city, a backwater town on the edge of the empire that's been defeated so many times I've lost count. But this guy likes me. Verse 17, it says, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. After Nebuchadnezzar was on the throne, his son was on the throne, Belshazzar, Belshazzar was on the throne and he also knew Daniel and acknowledged Daniel. So he got favour with him as well. Chapter six, me, uh, Darius conquered, uh, conquered Babylon. He was the one who threw Daniel into the den of lions. And he said, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? So Daniel's seen how honouring God and honouring his word and honouring honoring what God had told him to do and not to do. Don't eat this and don't do that. He's seen how it had an actual effect on his life. He also seen how, uh, understood how God's seen him. God knew where he was. God knew what he was going through. He had an unshakable conviction. So he had an unshakable conviction that God was the one true and living God. He had an unshakable conviction that God's word was true. And finally, he had an unshakable conviction that he was who God said he was. He had an unshakable conviction that he was who God said he was. Now, I've taken a bit of license in this last one. In 1 Daniel 6 there, it talks about them getting renamed. It says, Now, from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names, he gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar to Hananiah. He gave the name Shadrach to Mishael, Meshach and to Azariah, Abednego. They were given names. They had their names that they had been given by their parents and grown up with. But now that they've been brought into this culture and they were going to be, uh, 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 I can't remember the word I'm just thinking of, almost institutionalized or brainwashed or, or brought in to conform with the, the culture, they were given new names Daniel means Elohim is my judge. Belteshazzar means may Bel protect me, or it's a name referring to a pagan god. So we're taking him automatically away from that name, the name of God, the name that Israel uh, worshipped, and now giving them a name that they worshipped as part of his identity. The name Elohim is my, as my judge. Elohim is the supreme ruler, ruler of the universe, the God above all other gods. Daniel would have known whenever he thinks about his name and the meaning of his name, he would have known a special ownership, a special relationship with God, a special designation, identity that was wrapped up in his name. Now we don't do that as much in our day and age, but still in those days, he would have have understood the significance of his name. He was an Israelite, um, one of those who was a member of the family of God, a prince with God, He was a descendant of that heritage. Daniel's name testified to his and his family's relationship with God by saying, God is my judge. I live for God. He watches me and I live by his standard and for his pleasure. I live for live by his standard and for his pleasure. That's really what he's saying. That's really what it means in essence. That was his name. That's wrapped up in his identity whenever you've gone through these other points here. Really, it wraps up in entirety and encapsulates who he was. He was living by God's standard and for God's pleasure. That was his identity. And they wanted to give him another name, another name that would fit in. The other people who were in power and in control and in the towns, they all probably had names that were relation to the pagan gods and to the deities you know, maybe in one sense, they probably tried to legitimize it and say, oh, you know what? You'll fit in better if you've got a name like everyone else. You think of the Irish people who went to America and they, or even the UK who anglicized their names, who dropped the O from their names or the Mac or whatever to try and fit in. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get them just to fit in with everyone else. But also what they're doing is they're transforming something of his thinking if you think every time that he was saying his name, or every time he wrote his name when he was writing his book, or every time someone was talking to him and they say Daniel, I'm talking Elohim is my judge. Every time they say another name, maybe maybe God's just one of many gods. Maybe Elohim is just joined the pantheon of pagan gods and, and is, is no greater or less than any of them. He's just another god. So that's what, in essence, what they'd be trying to do, what, what psychologically or subconsciously they were doing is they're trying to bring God down from this place of supreme rulership and leadership and, and of the universe and bringing him down to just one of another God. It happened in the land of Israel before, uh, uh, before King Josiah had, had brought the revival. They, God was one of many gods and they were trying to transform him, transform him, but he refused to let that name stick he refused to let them identify who he was he refused to embrace everything that that encapsulated instead he held on through gritted teeth and determination to the name that he had been given so that name represented who he was represented his heritage everything the nation had gone through what his parents had brought him through was encapsulated in that when you look at this look throughout the book of daniel it says, but Daniel refu- Daniel refused, as I said, to, to accept that name. In verse seven, Daniel is given a new name, but over and over again, he refers to himself as Daniel. Verse seven, it says, but Daniel proposed in his heart. Verse nine, now God had brought Daniel into the favor with the eunuch. Verse ten, the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel. Verse eleven, so Daniel said to the steward. Verse nineteen, verse twenty-one. Chapter 2, 13, on and on and on, he talks about himself as Daniel, but he's not the only one. Chapter 5, verse 13. If you know the story of Daniel where uh, Nebuchadnezzar had passed away, his son Belshazzar is now king of Babylon, and he's brought the articles from the temple into this big party, and they're having a party, and the hand appears and starts to write on the wall. And as it writes on the wall, they call for Daniel to come and translate, and it says in 5:13, then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spake and said to Daniel, "Are you that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah whom my king, uh, my father, the king, brought from Judah?" So he's even referred to him as Daniel. The name didn't stick. He wouldn't accept it. He wouldn't accept what they tried to label him with. So that's wonderful news. You- You're not there yet. I know what I'm about to say, so I'm going to celebrate. It's wonderful news. He wouldn't let the tag that they were trying to put on his life be something that defined his life. He would rather have his life be defined by God and by his relationship with God. We all face things every day. Every single day of our lives, we'll face things and people that will try to put us in a box. That will try and give us a label, that will try and identify us in a certain way according to where we live, what way we were brought up, what we have, what we have in the bank, what we drive, what we've gone through, what we've experienced, what mistakes we've made, what things that people have done to us. They will try and attach that label to us to define us. Oh, they might still use the name Jason or, or Paul or Michael. They might try and use those names but they're still attaching to us a label. And if people attach a label to us, that's their business. The problem is if we take that label ourselves, if I own that label. See, Daniel wouldn't accept the label they tried to give him. It was a label about a foreign god. It was a label about a pagan god. He wanted a label that identified him with the king of kings and the lord of lords. For him, that was more important. See, if we accept the labels and we accept the the, the titles and the, the names that people try to give us, that can limit us. That can put us into a box that will limit our future, that might actually create in us thoughts that make us convinced that we really are a loser, a failure, a disaster. We might accept that and start to believe that, And once we start to believe that, then you are drastically reducing the opportunity for God to work in your life. You're drastically reducing the the, the chances for God to break in and to lead you into his promises because you'll think it'll never happen. God, let this happen to me and that's it. I've made this mistake and I'll never get any further than this. And things happen, don't get me wrong. They might be legitimate, but whether we accept that and we identify as that is up to us. Will I accept the title or the the label that someone has given me? No, I won't. No, I won't. I've had countless people over the years try and identify me in a certain way, try and put me into a box in a certain category and say, oh, you're that type of person. You're that type of Christian. You're you're a member of that family. You've done this. You've gone to that place. That means you're that type of person. You support this or you support that. I'm not going to allow it. Because if I allow that to happen, then that will be exactly what happens. But if I choose and I have chosen to be identified with God, I am saved. I am redeemed. I have been adopted into the family of God. I'm no longer a stranger or alien from the, or a foreigner from the Commonwealth of Israel. I can now call out Abba, Father. I am a child of God. That is how I want to identify. That is far more important for me to identify than any other identification. Because with that identification, I know that God can take me wherever he wants to take me. He can do in my life whatever he wants to do in my life. Because I am giving him free reign. I am a child of God. I've committed to you my future, not just my eternity, but my future today and tomorrow. I would rather have that identity. See, Daniel wouldn't let them pigeonhole him. They wouldn't let him identify with the, the gods of the pagans, which are people worshipped them and prayed them, and still things happened or didn't happen, and it was just, oh, it's raining today. It must be, God must be displeased with me. Not at all. I am not identify that way. I, I've, I worship the God who created all things, the God who is gracious. I worship the God of covenant, the God who delivered our people from Egypt. I worship the God who is uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Israel, the prince with God, that's my God. How to for us? Whatever people try and pigeonhole you, whatever legitimately or not, don't take it on board. Don't allow it to be something that defines who you are. Don't don't allow it to be something that limits your potential in God. Because we have a great potential. With God, all things are possible. God can do anything with us. There is no limit to what God can do, where God can lead us, how he can use us in his kingdom. Daniel had an unshakable conviction that God was the one true and living God. Daniel had an unshakable conviction that God's word was true. Daniel had an unshakable conviction that he was who God said he was. As we go into 2021, we can have the same confidence. We can have that same conviction that God is the one true and living God. I absolutely love that title for God, the one true and living God. We can have the same conviction that God's word is true, that his promises are yes and amen. We can have confidence in that. And we can have the same confidence that we are who he says we are. And if you know Christ as your savior today, You are who he says you are. You're his child. You're adopted in his family. You have access to the throne of grace at a moment's moment's thought, moment's prayer. And that's a wonderful thing to take into this year. No matter what we face, no matter what is ahead of us this year, we know that we've got a God who will not leave us nor forsake us. And as Daniel faced a world that was so foreign to him and so strange and so changeable, we can have the same confidence and same assurance that God's still God and that he's on the throne. Lord God in heaven, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the testimony of your word, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit amongst us. We thank you for leading us and guiding us, Lord. No matter what this year holds, Lord, we know that you hold the future. We know that you are the God of all ages and that nothing is beyond you, O God. Lord, we ask you to lead us and guide us, Lord. Lord, make this word rich in our hearts and our mouths, Lord. Speak to us and enlighten us, Lord. Have your way, be glorified in everything. In your name I pray, amen.